Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers. You've got episode three of season four. Today, I'm sharing a conversation I had with Jill Eileen Smith. She is the best-selling and award-winning author of several biblical fiction series, as well as The Heart of a King, Star of Persia, and Miriam's Song. Last year, I talked to her about Miriam's Song. Her research into the lives of biblical women has taken her from the Bible to Israel, and she particularly enjoys learning how women lived in Old Testament times. Jill lives with her family in Southeast Michigan. So I had a wonderful conversation with Jill, and I will share that in just a moment because it's a little bit of a longer conversation. I don't want to have a super long intro, but I do want to encourage you guys to follow the podcast or subscribe to it and also to um, rate and review it. I have a few new reviews in Apple Podcasts, which is so fun. And also um, make sure you check out the show notes for the Facebook group and my Instagram account, which you could follow. You can find all those things in the show notes at alisontreat.com slash blog. If you want to support the show in a greater way than those those free ways you can support the show, then you can check out my Patreon account, which is at patreon.com slash Allison Treat. Allison always has one L when it comes before treat. I want to get right to our conversation with Jill because it's a great one and it's a little bit of a long one, but I didn't want to cut anything out of it because every word was just filled with wisdom and so interesting. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jill Eileen Smith. Jill, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Well, thank you again for having me, Allison. I appreciate it. Yes, we talked um, maybe a year ago about your release, Miriam Song. Yes. And now, now your latest novel, The Prince and the Prodigal, released a couple weeks ago. Can you tell me about this book? Sure. Um, well, it was a book of, on my heart for quite a while. Um, in fact, I kind of had the idea for it back when I was finishing The Wives of the Patriarchs and was ending mm-hmm. Rachel's story. And I was like, well, she dies, but Joseph continues and I wanted to continue. And um, it just wasn't the right timing um, because it wasn't, Ravel and I worked together to come up with um, when the right timing is for certain things and which um, right. which books are, you know, going to be next or whatever. And at that time, it wasn't the right timing for the, um, the Joseph ideas, but The Loves of Solomon, uh, that's when that came out. And then the whole Heart of a King and... Then we went on to the other women, and um, but Joseph's story never left me, and so we try we talked about it again, and this time they said sure. So um, my idea for it was always a tale of two brothers, though that was not a good title, you know. But it was my working title, yeah. kind of, and it was because Judah plays such an interesting part to me in Joseph's story, and that one little chapter in Genesis on Judah's whole life you know, is, is like, it's packed with so much stuff. And Joseph's, you know, covers a whole lot more chapters. It's kind of how Isaac was in between Jacob and Abraham. But Judah's story is so linked to Joseph's. I wanted to show the connection of how the older brother hated and betrayed the younger brother, and then felt 
really awful about it because he left home for 22 years. I don't think he could face his father and, and went and lived a very prodigal life. And, um, I mean, he was in among the Canaanites. He wasn't worshiping God. He was, he was doing everything, you know, the typical story of how Jesus told it in the new Testament of the prodigal son. And, uh, Joseph was being, tested mightily in Egypt, but he remained faithful to the Lord. I, I'm sure he had his very dark moments, but um, especially when he was put in prison for something he didn't do. But God really taught him and used him and molded him. And I think that's a lesson to us that when we're going through a lot of trials, we can either run away and rebel like J- Judah did, or we can we can learn from what ask God to teach us and, and cry out to him and try and become what it is he wants us to become. And in the end, both men, you know, had came back to the Lord and they both had different stories to tell. But I love both tales. Um, the tale of faithfulness is what we all would love to say. That's who we are. But, but I resonate more with Judah not that I'm a prodigal, but I think we're all prodigals to some extent. Yeah. I think that he, I just, because of the way God chose Judah to be the line of kings and in the line of Christ, there's just a connection mm-hmm. there. He's the, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so I have, a, a, because of Jesus, there's a connection in my heart to him. And so I wanted to bring him out as much as Joseph. Um, so it's a tale of both of them. Wow. Most Christians are familiar, very familiar with Joseph's story Mm -hmm. um, and know that he had 11 brothers. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you touched on this a little bit, but why why Judah out of all the other brothers? um, Why is Judah the one that... Well, he wanted to tell more of his story. Because he was the one with the bright idea to sell Joseph. Um, of all the brothers, mm. Reuben wanted to save him. They were all in agreement wanting yeah. to kill him, except Reuben. Um, when the Ishmaelite traders came around along, it was Judah's idea to sell him. And he had no pity on him. He just, you know, coldly right. sold him to these traders who took him to Egypt. And he, he went along with the whole, and I, maybe it was even his idea to lie to his father. I don't remember. I, I have to look back. It's like I'm now on the next book. So the little details sometimes slip your mind. Yeah. But um, they all wanted to concoct the story. They had to, I mean, Reuben was distraught. What are we going to tell our father? And so they made up the idea that, you know, a wild animal got him and all we found was his coat. And interesting today when I was listening to, uh, I listen to the Bible on uh, an, a Bible app while I get ready in the morning. Yeah, and and it's yeah. one of the laws that God gave through Moses was that um, if an animal is torn by another animal, you had to produce the, the carcass of the torn animal to prove it. But they never produced mm-hmm. Joseph's body. All they set, brought was the coat. You know, so... But the law hadn't Mm. been given yet. So, you know, you can overlook some of that stuff. But on the other hand, it's like, well, why wouldn't they have found the body? And why wouldn't uh, Jacob have been a little bit more? There had to be something left. The animal wouldn't have eaten every part of him. But, you know, maybe they thought that they would. And maybe animals could have. I don't know. But I just know that um, Judah had to have 
had some reason to leave home for 22 years. The others all stayed with their father. So I think his guilt aided him because it was his idea and his father was inconsolable. And maybe he longed for his father's love and acceptance and he just knew he'd never get it because this weight of guilt on him. And that's my, my assumption, you know, as, as, right. as a writer, we can project motives on people that we shouldn't do in real life because we really can't know the heart of another person or what, what motivates them. But when I'm writing a story, I take what I believe makes sense and how I might feel or what I see other people's actions. And I, you know, we project, we shouldn't on, like I said, in real life, but we can in fiction. That's why it's, you know, we get to control the narrative. And um, yeah, I really believe that he left home because of something with Joseph. Why else would he leave? You know, it doesn't make mm -hmm. sense. And then he, he just had one tragedy after another. In his story, you get the story of him sleeping with his daughter-in-law, not knowing it, getting her pregnant. And I mean, that's not a book yeah. you can write a story about Tamar. You know, she's not a, a heroine that, you know, we want to read a whole book on her. But on the other hand, right. she was unfairly treated. And so I and I liked creating her character and exploring who she might have been and how yeah. it might have all come about and how why Judah's sons were so evil and well, how that might have come about. So that was kind of fun to explore. You know, not that I'm mm -hmm. right, but it was just to create his what happened to him because based on what little we're given, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, it's it makes sense. And it's it's an interesting question. You know, there are all these kind of gaps in the narrative when you read the Bible that um, last year I read the entire Bible with the Bible recap plan. Mm. And um it's you're reading at such a pace that it's hard to to stop and go further into into it and find out like you'll pass that section quickly and be like huh i wonder why mm -hmm. that happened but sure. um you can't necessarily delve into it more deeply right so in the book you you tell the story of those 22 years and and how do you think that um judah what brought him back I think it was after his two sons had died and he'd gotten his daughter-in-law pregnant and realized that it was his fault she was pregnant. He wanted her burned at the stake. And, you know, he wanted mm. Joseph, probably wanted him dead, but he sold him instead. And, I mean, he had to have had some kind of an epiphany moment of recognizing who he, the, the, the sin in his own heart, his own flawed character, because it caused at some it, something caused him to come home because he's yeah. there when they all go to Egypt and when he promises to protect Benjamin and then he's willing to give his life for Benjamin. I mean, there's a radical change for him to be willing to do that. So I think the pivotal point came when Tamar gave him twin sons and he realized that he was, you know, he did something terrible. Um, to do that, he, to treat her the way he did by not giving his youngest son to her and also by sleeping with the prostitute was just wrong, you yeah. know. So it, yeah. she wasn't a prostitute, but, you know. Right. Um, still. <laughs> right. So yeah. I don't know. That's, that's my guess. Something had to have 
caused him to want to turn around and go back. I, I listened to a thing this morning, a, a little devotional that said, sometimes you have to go back before you can go forward. And I, I totally agree with that. Sometimes we have to, mm-hmm. um, we, we've got things in our life we need, like any prodigal, you have to go and make amends. You have to, you mm-hmm. have to straighten it out. You have to um, repent is what, G- what the whole G- thing Jesus preached. And all that right. is, is is admitting that we're wrong and turning around the other way and going back to where, where we know what was true in the first place. You know, that's, right. that's, and maybe we never heard the truth before, but if we did know the truth and we walked away like Judah, he had to turn around and come back. And that's yeah. true for every person who, who's heard the truth, known the truth and thought my way's better. Well, we all know that our way isn't better. It never works. If just look at society. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So what would you say are the themes of the prince and the prodigal? My themes tend to all be similar in almost every book, and that is reconciliation and redemption and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, because it's the, the passion of my heart, um, yeah. I have a really strong passion for people to know Jesus. I I can't even bear the thought sometimes of people I know, even the, the person, you know, the neighbor next door that I don't really know or the, the stranger on the street, but especially the friend or the relative or whoever that isn't walking in truth or doesn't know the truth doesn't know mm-hmm. Jesus. I want them to because not, right. I want everyone to be eternally able to be together worshiping him and loving each other and just enjoying him forever. And can you imagine how amazing that's going to be? And mm-hmm. I don't want anyone to miss it. So to me, if, if there's a prodigal in my life or if there's just an unbeliever that never heard the truth in my life. I want them to know the truth. And if God will use that me in any way to love them enough, because it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, not our judgment. Um, Right. And if I can show them love and unconditional love and kindness, uh, even when they're not being the same way toward me, maybe um, I want them I want to do that, and I hope God allows me the grace to keep my own human fleshly sinfulness out of, you know, inter- interacting with people so they don't see Jesus the way they should. I want them to see Jesus in me. And sometimes that's not always right. true because I'm human, and that's not an excuse. It's just the truth. No, of course. So family dynamics are a huge component of this book. Right. What insights, what can we learn from reading about Joseph and his family? Um, don't have more than one wife. <laughs> would be <laughs> that that'd be a good one for Jacob that. to have learned. But it wasn't avoids a whole lot of problems. <laughs> yeah, um, but to his uh in his defense it wasn't his fault that he had two. Um he probably didn't need to agree to four, but um you know, the <laughs> Right, right. The having married. He was tricked into. He was. And later, because of it, I think that's why God gave the law of Moses to Moses. Not, I think it says a man shouldn't marry his 
a woman and her sister. <laughs> I'm like, I wonder where yes. that came from. <laughs> <laughs> and um, good point. Uh, you know, there was. I think Jacob was a father that uh, was blinded by his love for Rachel to where he loved her children to the extent mm-hmm. of excluding his other children. And and whenever there's favoritism in a family, that is a recipe for disaster. So that would be another lesson to not, you know, to do your best to make every child feel that you love them for who they are individually, not yeah. compare them to their, their sibling or, you know, show favoritism of one sibling over another. Uh, it's not healthy and it's it's not love it's it's sad when but don't go to the point of you got to have everything absolutely equal because we can't do that either you know (laughs) right um but he shouldn't have made joseph the coat and joseph no probably couldn't have avoided accepting it joseph is often portrayed as a spoiled kid when he shares the dreams etc maybe maybe not you know, maybe he didn't yeah. quite understand them and was looking for, what do you think this means? Or maybe he was proud and spoiled. Uh, we don't really know um, at that point. But whatever it was, God did. God always has to teach us things, no matter how good we think we are or how much we might think we care about him or want to know him. We're never where we should be. And he is always going to te- te- use circumstances of life to teach us it's just that's how he works so um family dynamics yeah don't show favoritism and as a parent love your children as much as you can equally give them the time and the respect that you you know but when you've got warring factions of different mothers that it's almost impossible so i you know in that case it's a hard lesson to figure out because yeah. of their situation. What do you think of the um, like the di- dynamics between the brothers? Because, I mean, we know they came from the way that Jacob treated his sons. He he loved Rachel's children more than Leah's, um, and that's just as a little background for anyone who's not up to snuff on Genesis. Jacob fell in love with Rachel first. But her father tricked him into marrying Leah first. So he ended up with both sisters as his wives, but he really loved Rachel the most. But how? what do you think about how those brothers treated each other? I mean, Reuben was the only one who wanted to protect Joseph. And Judah had so much bitterness and hatred toward him that he was willing to kill him and, and ultimately came up with a plan to sell him. Can we learn anything from that and from his regret ultimately? Or what are your thoughts on you that? You mean Judah's regret? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think that the fact that he, his father was inconsolable would have gotten, made him feel like, oh man, I really blew it. You know, I mean, wouldn't yeah. you, if you, if you went and told your father something and he went days and days and weeks and months in mourning, I just listen, I keep going back to things I just did, but on the plane home last night from our trip, I was watching, um, a BBC thing about, uh, Queen Victoria and her nine children after her husband mm-hmm. died. And she was not a good mother to them. She at all, <laughs> according to the BBC, and right. um, 
I think that she never got over her grief. And I don't think Jacob ever did either. And so yeah. he grieved for 22 years. And maybe he had his good points when, you know, Benjamin was around. And I, I would be, uh, I would assume he had some conversations with Leah and was got a little closer to her after Rachel's death. And maybe he, Dinah had a soft spot, you know, girls tend to be Mm -hmm. that way with their dads. uh, At least I was. And, you know, he never really got over Joseph and just like Victoria never got over Alfred. And, and Mm -hmm. she just was, she lived in black and she wouldn't go out in public and be seen by her people. And, she made her kids all be miserable and she was controlling and all this. Well, maybe Jacob was similar, you know, and, mm-hmm. and Judah, how would you feel? Cause it made all of Victoria's kids so upset with their mother. Well, how would Jacob's kids have felt toward him, you know, and especially the ringleader who said, let's get rid of this brother. He had to have felt the most guilt and maybe the brothers blamed him. That's kind of how I, I caused the story to go um, Mm. that, you know, hey, it was your idea, you know, but, you know, all of them were, none of them were innocent of doing wrong. Simeon and Levi were were violent and had killed all the Shechemites and, you know, Mm -hmm. there's so much history. They don't say a lot about the sons of the concubines, except that Joseph was supposed was supposedly telling his father tales about them, but what if jo- Jacob asked him to watch over them? Because according to one commentary I read, they were doing things that um, it wasn't just like not watching the sheep very well. They were doing things that were just wrong, according to this one commentary. So Joseph may mm-hmm. or may not have wanted to tell Jacob, but Jacob, if he, he'd wanted Joseph to be a spy, so to speak, then he would have had no choice but to tell on his brothers. So all of them were guilty of doing things they shouldn't do, and that would have upset Jacob. You know, and the only one who didn't was Joseph. He was doing what Joseph or Jacob wanted. And Benjamin was a baby, so he's he gets a pass. Um, right. You know, but so, you know, I just, I think Judah just was, um, he, I think because it was his idea uh, to sell him and he couldn't get his father to come around and nobody could, that it had to have just been piling guilt on guilt. That would be my guess. So you run away from guilt when you feel guilty. Nobody likes right. to feel guilty. No. Isaac's story was a lot like Judah's story. They're very little is given. They're like a mm. they're like a comma in between the other two stories. <laughs> you know, like Abraham, comma, Isaac, and then Jacob. They all get lots of page time except the one in between, and that was how Judah's, uh, yeah. Judah was too. He didn't get any page time except a chapter, although that's more than some. Deborah got only a couple verses and part of, well, I guess she got a chapter, but it was not like Judah's. So, you know, some people just don't get a lot of, uh, we're not given a lot of info on them, but maybe that's, well, I know it's because God only gives us what he wants us to have. And when I go and write into it, the historical or, or imaginative how it might have come together, I'm not trying to add anything to what is truly scripture. This is fiction, and I hope all readers always remember that. 
it, I'm only taking what God's word says happened and trying to figure out, well, how might that have happened? Why might that have happened? So that we can better maybe grasp the intent or any of that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really up to every reader to go back to scripture and to ask God for insight on their own, because I most certainly am not right on everything I write. I It is my imagination, and I hope no reader of thinks course. that I'm trying to claim it's not. <laughs> so, No, no, but it is, um, it's really interesting to try to fill in the gaps and see what we can learn from what might have what might have been. That's kind of fun. <laughs> That's what made me love scripture when I read a biblical novel that brought the people to life. And so that's what I hope to mm. do for other readers because it did it for me. And yes, I don't know. I, I try. Yeah, I just, I just think there's so much that you can draw from each story. Like even um, if you're looking at Joseph and you can see how all of his brothers hated him. And so we can take from that, you know, that, that God still loves us even when others hate us. But then if you flip it and think about Judah, well, there are people that we dislike in life. Yeah. <laughs> and at, at some point, you have to realize, as Judah saw with, with Joseph, he did not like Joseph. Um, he was jealous of him. And, but he had to accept that his father loved him. And so I think that we need to accept that our father, God, the father loves those people that we sometimes feel like we hate. Um, and so I just think it's so amazing. All the different um, lessons. Yeah. For me, that hatred idea that you just brought up. um, I've, Mm -hmm. I've recently learned that when we look back into our lives, there's people, people are always going to hurt us. There's always going to be disappointment. Nobody is going to always make us feel great 100% of the time. We will, Mm -hmm. if we put our hopes and trust in people, we will always be disappointed. But even if we have a great relationship, there's going to be times they're going to hurt us anyway because we're human and we hurt each other. And the more hurt we are, the more we hurt other people. But mm-hmm. if we are the one who's been hurt and we hold a grudge, the one thing that we can't do is hold that grudge. We need, mm. if we don't learn to forgive, after having had cancer, um, I've, read a, I've heard this over and over, that forgiveness is huge in illness. You have got mm-hmm. to let go and forgive. Forgive someone for you know, saying the wrong thing. Forgive them for not being there when you wanted them to be. Forgive the person who abused you. Forgive the person who died when you didn't want them to. Forgive whatever Mm -hmm. needs to happen, but you need to forgive. And when you, the way I do it, besides prayer, because I can't do it in my own strength, is I write out, I'm I'm a writer, so I do it this way. And I take a journal and I'll write, exactly like a letter to the person and tell them exactly how they hurt me. Mm-hmm. Then I will write, I forgive you all over it. And, and I will take it out of that journal and I'll shred it. And once mm-hmm. I can do that and truly do it, I mean, every part of it, you got to dig deep sometimes. Cause sometimes one day I was writing and writing and I'm like, 
okay, I feel better, but oh, wait a minute, I forgot this thing. So I wrote some more. And after I was able to, I was like, you know what? I actually love that person now. I didn't oh. hate them anymore. And it was so weird. I'd never had that feeling. <laughs> it's like, I, I was, because I, I was at a point like Judah felt, you know, like you want to just hate the person for what they've done or, or what, yeah. who they are, or not who they are. I mean, they can't help it, but just their actions or, or your feelings of whatever. But, you know, sometimes we're oversensitive and we shouldn't, yes. we take it, we get hurt when we shouldn't. So there's that mm-hmm. kind of thing too. We, we need to ask forgiveness from God as much as we need to accept his forgiveness, but we need to forgive others freely and, and over and over again, 70 times 70, you know, and beyond. Um, right. The more we do that, the more love God's able to pour his love for those people into our lives. And we can look at them with compassion and go, you know, how did Jesus love people? One person at a time, he saw them, he touched them, he cared about them. And it might not be a thing that we'll always do perfectly. And we might have to forgive again and again and again and go back to that, you know, because the person keeps doing this, whatever they were doing, (laughs) you know, and I mean, how many times did Jacob have to forgive Judah for leaving? I don't know. I mean, did did Mm. that cross his mind Uh, as a parent? Would it cross yours? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he, he lost Joseph. And, and now his, his one son that was the son of praise when he was born, Leah's, Leah's one son that she praised God for, uh, Mm -hmm. leaves and Jacob's like, how, how does he handle that? I don't, I didn't really explore that in the book, but I wonder, um, right. He may have had to forgive that. I don't know. I'm sure when Judah came back, there had to be a forgiveness moment between the two, but yeah. um, a reconciliation doesn't come without that. So anyway, if that makes sense. <laughs> I'm- yes. Yeah, it's important. Um, before we um, started recording, we were talking about everything you're busy with right now. You just got back from a, a trip um, ac- across the country and you have a book coming out and you have, you're trying to finish up another book. So tell me about that book. What are you working on now? Uh, Eve's story. And it, they gave me an extension, um, which I asked for, and I'm so grateful for a couple extra (laughs) weeks uh, because we're moving as well. And um, once we settle, I'll have a month to really go over it one more time. It's not that it Mm -hmm. isn't done. It's that it's not, I'm not satisfied with it. Um, right. And I, I can't turn in something I'm not really satisfied. And I don't know if I can get my head to wrap around it to be satisfied with it. Cause Eve's story is, is kind of like in a league of her own. She, mm. she was not born. She was, you know, hand fashioned by God. So there's a difference right. there. She, yeah. she didn't, you don't have the typical lifespan. So you're not spanning, you know, my grandchildren, my great grandchildren, you're going generations if you let her live long enough. And then you've Mm -hmm. got, there's an, how do you, and where do you introduce conflict besides Cain and Abel? You know, you've got, she had to have had tons of kids because they married each other and had kids. And it's just a whole different book than any other uh, story in scripture 
because she's the first woman and they started, they started the whole world and it's been a, a huge challenge. And, um, I used to think the other books were hard, but this one, I don't know. And I think because we've been so extremely busy the last few months, when it's all coming together at the same time, you just kind of, your brain goes on brain freeze or something, you know, it's just <laughs> hard to keep thinking straight. But um, yes, but I remember I recently listened to our episode together last year, um, or at least most of it. And I know you said that you feel like this during the writing of every book, I think. I do. That, <laughs> yeah. So so don't worry. It'll it'll come together. <laughs> I, I think so. And when I read it, I go, yeah, this is okay. But I've had a couple friends read it and they're, you know, not as, I had to change mm-hmm. a few things. And I'm hoping yeah. I've changed enough, you know, and I agree with them in certain respects and I don't agree on other parts. So I have to figure out what, what works for me. And when I wrote like Rebecca, I prayed over every scene and I need to pray more. I have started praying more over Eve because I don't know, ever Mm. since COVID, it's been harder to write, but it's not just COVID. I realized the other day, my deadlines are messed up. And so I I talked to my editor about that. If uh, in the future, if we do more books, um, we need to move that back to what it used to be. Cause I, I used to have a deadline, a book due in December, and then I started to uh, research in January, had the first draft done by June, and I, I, knew, I had it all figured out. Then I started writing too many books, and somehow mm. the book, the deadline got moved to March right after the release of the other one. And when you release a book, you aren't, you're doing interviews like we're doing, you're, you're writing yes. articles, and you're doing promotions on social media. Mm-hmm. And so you've got all that uh, and I've got the book due at the same time. And so I'm like, I finally realized this is messing up my, my brain space. I need to, <laughs> I need to move it back. And she was, it's hard to have so many things going on at once. Yeah. So. And she was so gracious and totally uh, understanding of that. But of course, okay. right now we can't do it because this is already set to go but um right right in the future hopefully we'll figure something out if if there is a i I only have one more book right now under contract um but we'll see if there'll be more after that or not i i'm not sure what's going to happen so um, yeah so yeah wow so this is a question I ask all my guests, and I know you answered it last time, but maybe your answer has changed mm-hmm. a bit. I don't know. <laughs> How do you think learning about history or the Bible through story helps us approach life in the present? And I know the Bible is history. I was just clarifying. Right, it, right. You know, a- ancient history as opposed to oh, I more don't, recent. I, I, and I may have said this last time, but I don't think human nature changes. And mm. it's like I, I just... Um, when you think about the verse Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. I heard a a sermon about that once that disagreed with the verse because there are new things that change under the sun. I'm like, okay, technology Hmm. changes. I'll get that. We didn't have Apple computers and iPhones back in, you know, Adam's day, but person a person's character and the sin nature and pride and selfishness and, yeah. um, and even the good things we do 
none of that has ever changed. In fact, mm-hmm. as if you leave men to their own devices and they start letting taking God out of everything, they only get worse. And that's why we need revival to wake us up to realize we need God because, and that's happened throughout history where people finally go, Oh, we can't do this. Look at what, what we've done to ourselves and they'll repent and turn around and then society will improve. But when we continue year after year after year to go down a path of, I'm going to do it my way. This is, you know, I'm whatever autonomous I'm, I'm, my own person. I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing. I don't need God. Then he says, okay, fine. He's not going to push himself on us, but we're going to suffer the consequences of not having him in our life. And when we do that, just look around you, the whole world. What do you see? Is it improving? Have all of our man-made ideas fixed anything? Have we cured the virus? No, mm-hmm. not that we, you know, I, I'm not saying that if we all turn to God, the virus would go away, but we don't have the answers to anything right. with, right. without God. We just, we can do things that are good. Some things that may help us and look like mm-hmm. there's a, a short term fix for things. But in the end, if we really want internal Joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit, the only place that comes from is the Lord. And Mm -hmm. unless we are walking with Him in truth, then we are walking in darkness. And when we walk in darkness, we can't see the next step in front of us. How do we think we're going to ever survive in a very chaotic, falling-apart world that desperately Mm -hmm. needs Jesus? And I wish... I wish so much that we all realized how much we do because that that is it's just the story of the scripture it's the story of history if you look at history compared to scripture which is history obviously but if you look at even the people in scripture and how much they failed and then you look at history and how much they failed mm-hmm. you're like well how come you guys aren't waking up and seeing the truth, you know? <laughs> and some of them did, um, but it took Samson to the end of his life to wake up and smell the truth or see the truth. It took yes. a blinding light from heaven to wake Paul out or Saul out of his um, yes. self-imposed self-righteousness. And it took e- even just something uh, to a believer like Peter sleeping in jail, it took an angel to go wake him up and he didn't even believe it was happening. You know, right. sometimes we're asleep. We need God to wake us up. We can't do it. And if we're dead spiritually, then we really need the Lord to, you know, wake us up from the dead. But even Christians can be asleep. And we, I think this, I think the, that our country, our nation, our world, whatever would be helped if we could learn from history, learn from scripture that um, we all need to come to the Lord and say, I desperately need you. We can't fix this without you. We need you. God said, if my people will pray, we need to be a mm-hmm. praying church, a praying nation, a praying people for all of the rest of everyone. If we don't do that, if it's not a daily 
without ceasing, like breathing, if it's not, if our heart doesn't pulse with the desire to walk with God and talk with him all the time, how do we expect anyone else is going to want to? How are we going to ever care about the, truly care about the person that's in need, the orphan, the widow, the homeless person, the the person who mm-hmm. just needs to hear about Jesus and, and know someone cares by giving them a hot meal or or going and building them a home when their home's destroyed like some uh, charities do. You know, those people do that out of love for God, and a lot of them do. And right. I, I think that that's what we, we have to start with getting our hearts right with him as a church, as a as Christians, and and then we can be that light and and love people the way Jesus said to. And I really am preaching to myself, not to anybody else. (laughs) Well, those are wise and good words. Um, Jill, this has been a wonderful conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? Um, well, my website, jillileensmith.com, sign up for my mm-hmm. newsletter, which I'm a little behind on, but I try to keep up. I used to blog, follow my blog. I'm trying to keep up with that too, but I think when things slow down, I'll do more of that. I follow yeah. me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, P- on Pinterest. I don't go on much, but, and, but I'm on Instagram and uh, Facebook, uh, daily, mm-hmm. pretty much daily. And you can email me at uh, through my website. There's a link. All my books are on my website. There's links to all the different stores to buy them from if you go and want to read about them. Um, and there's Great. other things there. You can see my trip to Israel back 100 years ago, it feels like now. But <laughs> 2008 yeah. was a long time ago. But it, the, the pictures are still cool, I think. I enjoy watching right. looking at them. So anyway, that's the best way to you know, okay. find me. Yeah, we'll um, we'll link to those things from the show notes also so that people can find you easily. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much for being with us today, Jill. Thank you so much for having me. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know I certainly did. Again, you can find the show notes if they are not in your podcatcher app. You can find them at alisontreat.com slash blog. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. And that's where you will find links to all the things that Jill mentioned at the end there and um, links to my information as well. Let me leave you with a quote from Sir Isaac Newton about the Bible. We account the scriptures of God to be the most sublime philosophy. I find more sure marks of authenticity in the Bible than in any profane history whatsoever. So my friends, keep reading your Bibles biblical fiction, and historical fiction. And I will talk to you again next week.